think I spent so long just constantly on YouTube, <laughs> like researching all this different stuff. And it got to the point where it just, it wasn't really healthy for me because it was, it took up so much of me that I needed to go and kind of just have a bit of a, a bit of help with that. Because I think with, like you said, with the control aspect of it, I found, I found myself feeling really out of control. And um, yeah, so that was what I did. I went to see a counsellor and I've, I've never really looked back actually. Welcome everyone, my name's Naomi. You're listening to Talk Hair Loss with Alopecia UK, where we share our conversations around all things hair loss. We'll be talking directly to those in the alopecia community to hear firsthand the ups and downs of living with hair loss. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about coping with alopecia. Myself and my three guests are going to be discussing some of the things that have helped us along our hair loss journey. One thing I think it's important to start with saying is that alopecia, in all its many forms, can be a difficult and often unpredictable condition to live with. We frequently say that it might not be a life-threatening condition, but it can be a life-changing condition. And with that in mind, we know that everyone deals with their alopecia in totally different ways. The things that myself and the guests share today may or may not be ways that others have coped or may not be right for you personally, but we hope it is helpful to hear from others for whom it has helped or even share some new tips for you to try. You'll hear in our chat today that even amongst this small group, there is differing approaches to living with alopecia. And so we hope that today you'll resonate with at least some of those experiences. So we'll start with a brief introduction and I'll go first. So my name is Naomi and I first developed alopecia areata when I was around 22 back in 2014. So it started as one or two patches uh, in and around the March time, I believe. And then by July, everything had gone, including my eyebrows and eyelashes. Uh, So at that point I'd gone to alopecia universalis. And I stayed at Alopecia Universalis until kind of late 2015, so around a year and a half. Um, And then I started sprouting some regrowth completely randomly. (laughs) Uh, And since then, I've gone through stages. So I've had lots of patches to the point where I've chose to shave off what was left um, and kind of manage it that way. Uh, And then I've also gone through stages of full regrowth. And then I've been back again to the patches stage. I'm now currently experiencing almost full regrowth apart from I have lots of little patches, mainly in the back of my hair. Um, So that's a bit about the up and downs of where I've been with alopecia in terms of its stages. Um, Steve, are you okay if I hand over to you to do a a bit of an introduction for us? Um, Yeah, of course. So um, I first developed or was first aware I had alopecia areata. I was probably about six. And so I had um, small patches, they used to come and go different sizes so from the age of six all the way through to it's about um 19 um 20 and 19 with the patches just started getting a little bit they were taking up more uh, more of my head than what my hair was so in the end i just i just shaved it all off um which was which worked really really well for me but then i, I developed into total alice so i actually lost all of my head hair i still had my facial hair i still had my eyebrows my eyelashes everything else um, and that was probably in place for maybe about six six to ten months and then I actually 
developed onto Univalis in my, in my early 20s. And that's the way it stayed now for about 20 odd, 20 odd years. So the only kind of regrowth I get is some random mutant hairs, which just appear um, when you least expect them or when the light catches them. But, um, but no, I haven't had any sort of um, major regrowth as such. So Ariata, Totalis for just a little short window, right way through to Univalis. And that's been the case for the last 20 years. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for sharing that. And Grace, are you happy to go next? Yeah, um, so I developed um, alopecia areata when I was 19, so in 2019, in the January. Um, and I've just had patches kind of come and go since then. Currently, I don't have any, not that I've found anyway. Um, and I've got a little bit of regrowth in the ones that I had before Christmas. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. Mine have just been on my head so far. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> Thank you. And Laura, what about for you? Uh, so kind of similar to you, Naomi, but um, yeah, so I was 13 when my hairdresser first spotted a little 50p size patch um, and then those patches kind of developed and started joining up and I shaved my head at 14 because uh, there was definitely more bald than hair on my head as well. Um, but I went straight to wearing a wig. I didn't really feel like there was any other option for me, um, something we might want to interrogate a bit, um, and especially I, something I am interrogating now. But yeah, so I put a wig on in 2014 I think it was um, at the age of 14 and then didn't take it off in public until last year for the first time so yeah um, and throughout the years that did develop to totalis and then I had bits of like lash falling out but then regrowth and then brows and back but at the moment um, I'm pretty much universalis everywhere although I'm starting to have some regrowth on my left eyelash eyelash randomly it's so random like, it's random isn't it yeah but i'm not going to get my hopes up as far as i'm concerned i'm alopecia universalis so <laughs> it is very very bizarre because my eyebrows seemed to grow back but my eyelashes never have apart from i have one very long black one <laughs> which i look after <laughs> And, 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 uh, give it a little stroke <laughs> that, they're the only things I really miss to be honest my eyebrows and my eyelashes I used to have some pretty good eyelashes apparently when I was, when I was young so, <laughs> and as I realised that's the only hair well, certainly from my perspective it was the only hair that would added any kind of real value um, to me was my eyebrows and eyelashes that is something that I think lots of people say regardless of gender eyebrows they just yeah. help frame the face don't they yeah, Absolutely. definitely yeah. That's I mean, you look great regardless, Steve, just to be I mean, I've kind of got these little grooves, well, and the wrinkles, of course, but I've got these little grooves, <laughs> um, grooves in place. Aside from that, it's just a big lot of skin, really. So just having eyebrows and as eyelashes, they're, they're genuinely the things I do miss, especially when you're um, I don't know, when you walk along or doing some training. The eyelashes are fantastic. You get a bit of dust or a bug, you hit an eyelash, you blink, whereas now it's just straight in there. So... Um, mm. I say that's what puts me off exercise. It's just an experience. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you for all those introductions. Um, so I'm hoping that today's discussion can be kind of fairly open. We'll sort of jump around probably from topics, depending on what people can share with us. But I guess to start off, does anyone have any experiences or things that they would like to share about how they coped with their alopecia? right at the start, right when you were first diagnosed, is there anything in particular that people found that was um, helpful? 
feel like you can pop your hands up and let me know or i can i can introduce a topic if anyone doesn't have anything that pops well, to mind. i'm, I'm, I'm um, i'd quite like to share um, you can probably tell, i'm probably of a slightly different generation to you younger ladies so when i was going for other people there wasn't really and certainly wasn't a support group in place there wasn't that inf much information um around it so in in traditional fashion we just didn't talk about it so actually it was just something which um, it wasn't actually made a, a, a focal point. So as, as, a, as a kid growing up, I had the patches. I, I obviously tried to grow, grow a little bit longer in certain areas, but it just wasn't um, spoken about. So it, was, it wasn't a focused area. And like for me, although that may sound a little bit um, ignorant, but actually it kept me focused on what was more important, whether it be my sports or my, on, on my education. Of course, I got into my teenage years and you start going out drinking, you're trying to attract um, the attention of the, of the opposite sex. Then you are quite conscious about your way you look. So I used to get felted pens, of course, and sort of color them in, but I didn't work particularly well in the summer when you get a little bit hotter and it's the, um, the pen starts rubbing off on, on people's hands and things like that. So, but no, so, so my coping mechanism was, uh, there wasn't enough answers at the time. And because of that, I couldn't control it. So therefore just focus on the things I could control, which was my school, my sports, my friendship groups. So that, that's how I did. I just basically ignored it and just focused on everything else that was going on in my life. I think that's really just an interesting point that you bring up about, like you say, focusing on the controllables. That was something that, um, Joanna Rousel, who's one of our ambassadors, once said to us about how she copes as well. Hello everybody, my name is Joanna Rousel. I have had alopecia areata for as long as I can remember, but I first lost all my hair aged 10. Uh, since then, it's grown back a couple of times, but most of the time, this is me. Uh, my top tip for coping with alopecia is finding something else in your life that you really enjoy doing that you've got some control over. So one of my mantras is focusing on the controllables. So don't worry about things that you can't control. So for me, I cannot control if my hair grows, but I can control so many other things in my life. So whether that is a hobby or whether that's studying something or whether that's a sport, that is something that has really helped me deal with alopecia, have something else that I'm in control of. So when I was younger, that was sport, and I worked really hard at cycling and eventually became Olympic champion. While that might not be for everybody, it was something that was in my control and really gave me a passion and something to, something to, something to distract from things that I couldn't control. So that helped me a lot. Best wishes, thank you. Has anyone else sort of ever had a feeling like that, or was that always a bit too tough? I don't know. I, I'd say the opposite. Plus, I just realised my intro was completely wrong because I got excited by Grace um, listening to your story. Uh, it wasn't 2014, it was 2004. I am significant. I'm 10 years old. <laughs> 30. <laughs> I was 14 years old, but it was in 2004. It wasn't 2003. Um, but at that age, I can definitely agree with Steve that like there, there didn't seem to be any examples around me of anyone that had been through this, whether teenage or even like looking to my mum and the hairdresser and the doctor to kind of give me some example back then it was like oh go on the alopecia uk forum but that would have taken a lot of self-motivation to want to kind of get to that point and i just wasn't ready i was in over my head and i i didn't learn just like joanna or steve 
quick enough to kind of just be able to ignore it. It was a much more negative feeling for me. It was very much a put the wig on and hide behind it. But I thought about it constantly. The only good thing that maybe came out of it is that I developed a pretty good sense of humour because I was overcompensating. Um, and weirdly, like I was always meant to be a confident person. It definitely made me quiet for a few years, but then I almost found again probably in a really annoying way i would overcompensate and yeah i was good at school and you know focused on maybe academia or something because i didn't just want to be the girl with the wig because every single day inside that's who i felt i was just the girl with the wig and i knew there was more potential to me than that and and, and thank you right was it's it didn't happen straight away of course there was yeah okay i wanted to find cure solutions i mean there was okay but some um, but I didn't have the internet back back then, so there was, there was nothing like that at all. And so, so in teenagers, then okay, you, you get prescribed certain um, like vitamins or the steroid lotions. And of course, I went through that process, but I learned very quickly there, there was no rhyme or reason why the patches were were coming and going. So it was, do you know what? I can't build up any false hope in it because that, that's all it was. It was essentially they still don't know. In fact, okay, we know some things about, it, but there's no there's no cure behind it. And, and this is after new decades of um, um, people experiencing um, alopecia and obviously being quite open and aware of it. So we still don't have a cure on it. And so back then I just learned quickly that it's pointless even building up my, uh, my optimism because it, it was, all it was going to do is just not, not my confidence. So it was just a case of just, just, just shutting it out um, and, and just focusing on um, what, was important, what was important to me. Yeah. I mean, mine... I'm a bit more like Laura, I think, because um, obviously I was only I was 19 and wasn't a few months before I turned 20, um, and even probably the past six months have probably been the best I've felt since I first was diagnosed back in 2019, because um, I was exactly the same. It was just in my head constantly, um, and I lost like all of this, so all of these bits are regrowth. So obviously in my mind, I'm constantly like you know everyone can see straight away that it's right there but um because it's because it's AA it's hard to cover it and stuff and you kind of have that thing of do I get a topper I have quite a lot of hair left where's it going to go and it, for a long time I was really I really struggled with it because I couldn't seem to find any way of controlling myself and the worry of where it was going to lead to I think sometimes if you have multiple ones, like multiple patches all the time, maybe you can be like, okay, well, the only, you know, the only other option is to shave it off. For mine, it was like, I've got half, you know, this bit and then the rest is pretty much okay. So it was really hard. And then I, um, I did start counselling last year just to kind of go through my anxiety with what my um, AA and the journey that it took me on gave me. And um, yeah, that for me, that has helped because I did find it really difficult it really just knocked the wind out of me i just i never really heard about a peter either which i don't think necessarily helped just wasn't aware of it i mean i knew that you know there was like a few famous people with it but apart from that i was totally oblivious so yeah and yes yeah, so that that was me but it's, it's easier now <laughs> i think you hit on the point there um grace the fact that because you was conscious of it naturally it, it just changes your change your yeah. behavior and and I I was I was finding that as as I was growing up that if whether okay whether it's acne or whatever it is you've got then yeah. 
you're aware of it. So because you're aware of it, you focus on it. And if, if you're focused on something which is negative, you will subconsciously go down that path and you will change your behavior, your characteristics, your persona, because you automatically assume that everyone else is focused on your acne or your patches or whatever it is. The reality is everyone else has got their own stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's what I learned quite quickly that it may, it may in fact, it is super important to us or whoever's going for the, um, the challenges of adapting to alopecia, but everyone else has got something else they've got going on. And the reality was no one actually really mentioned anything. I mean, yeah. when, I, I, mean I did make a few, obviously I can make a few jokes and stuff. I had tattoos, obviously on occasions, it looked like on, on my head when I'd shaved it. And obviously back in the nineties, it was, this was pre David Beckham shaving his hair. So back in the nineties, if you was a skinhead, you was kind of on the wrong side of the, of the law. It wasn't particularly cool back, back then. Um, but yeah, just, just by, just by focusing on, like I said, some people are tall, short, um, got acne. everyone's got something which they're not necessarily, um, over the moon about. Um, and if you just focus on it, you're just subconsciously going to go in that, in that direction. So yeah. uh, that's just something that worked for me, but I'm also, I'm talking from, from a male perspective. So, uh, um, I also just think that it's interesting, Steve, that's why this is an interesting conversation because you can kind of look at how far things have come on and how much things have changed sort of realistically in quite a short space of time. Um, you know, in the fact that actually, like say, when you were younger, because there was nothing around, you kind of didn't really have any choice. No. Oh, I felt lucky. I felt lucky there was that because actually if, if there had have been more forums around, then actually that could have got in my head and actually had a negative impact. Whereas I, I was, purely in okay social media there's loads of positives around social media but on the flip side there's there's a lot of negatives as well now i was actually sheltered from all of that so therefore it was only my it was only my own demons i needed to um to battle with and and i and i dealt with that by communicating if someone had a question i would happily talk about alopecia the way i viewed it was the fact that the more people who know about it the less um, less people i have to share with it it's like kind of like my force field so all my friends knew what it was nine times out of 10 people will ask a friend as opposed to me. So the people around me were informed, then I didn't have to deal with it. And that helped as I built up my own confidence till I got to a point whereby the random people coming up to me in the gents toilets of pubs or being lecture theaters or whatever, like just random people would just come up and talk to you. But because I built up that confidence, it, it didn't, it didn't really affect me at all, but I think it would be definitely different now because of social media, because of all the online forums, it, it, it gets in your head. Um, it, it feeds different personality types. Absolutely. Yeah. It? For some, it's like the shining beacon of like, actually I, this is amazing and this is what builds me up and this is what gives me confidence. And like you say, for some people, it would be the opposite where it's like, actually, that's everything that I'm not. And that's, what's really difficult. And I think it's quite interesting because, I was going to leap into, I guess, Laura and your experience with the social media side of things, because I guess for you, I think especially in the last year with, with lockdown and everything, your experience of social media and how that's affected your alopecia journey has come on quite a lot. And are, are you happy to share a bit with us about that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. actually. even with the, the three of us being here as the guests, I feel like we almost represent a generation each. <laughs> both of you because I realised we've got uh, Steve who said there was no internet when he got to Rose. I got my first email address in 97. So. <laughs> that was two years before I was born. 
<laughs> yeah. Then when I was diagnosed in 2004, not 2014, um, and obviously the, the height of social media then was Bebo, maybe if you know, that was years later, but forums AUK were doing. Um, and it's only now almost like I'm pretending I'm in Grace's generation and I've been in the Instagram world at the grand old age of 29, 30, that I'm realizing that that does suit my personality. And there are certain aspects of the platform of Instagram that really works for me. But back when it first started, the forums, that format, which was all words and people just spilling out their anxiety, did not work for me. Whereas Instagram, yeah, I took to Instagram in lockdown because I live on my own and it just felt like I, I felt like I needed to do something to keep me sane effectively. And this thing that I kind of been hiding and worrying about for so many years, always just trying to push it away. Like, cause I didn't want to be the girl with the wig or the bald girl. So I would just kind of not ever bring attention to it ever, never change my wigs, you know, like, well, obviously buy the same like new ones. I wasn't just wearing a 20 year old wig. <laughs> That would be me. Um, but you know, always the same style, same color, same hairdresser to cut it. Like never took any risk, never embraced anything about my alopecia. And it was really through the very image led and you can curate Instagram to be a really happy, safe space. So when you were saying, Steve, like you created your little safety bubble almost in your world because you were shielded from it. I feel like in Instagram you can kind of do that because I choose who I let follow me. I choose who I follow. And so my feed is just filled with happy, beautiful, bald women and men, and I love it. Um, and that's what's really been driving me during lockdown to make myself, yeah, really bring that confidence that I got. It's actually a year on Sunday that I posted my first ever bald selfie. Oh, um, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously now I've gone out for photo shoots, I've done Channel 4 documentary, I've done a paid advert, you know, so in the space of one year just from sharing my story and yeah the whole point is I want to raise awareness of alopecia so that people don't make assumptions and and then there's not other young people like you know me Grace and Steve when it happened to us when we and, and you sorry Naomi <laughs> <laughs> when it first happens it's that horrible lonely feeling of like looking around at adults and doctors and anyone just to be like, why have I never seen this before? What I've never seen anyone with patches before. I've never seen a bald person before. Why? It's because we're all hiding it. Yeah. Women go towards a wig. Men might wear hats or, you know, you think, oh, well, men, men might be bald. That's fine. That's, you know, there's so many assumptions people make and it's all because we could just be talking about it a bit more, completely demystifying it, not being ashamed of it. And it's totally easier said than done. But yeah, Instagram for me has been the game changer, 100%. It's that um, title of awareness, isn't it? Because I think, uh, Grace, you mentioned it earlier as well about when you were first diagnosed and, and feeling like you had no idea what alopecia was. And so what would be great for us as a society to get to the point of is, is that even if we're still at a point where people are experiencing it and it's, and it's difficult and people are having to go through it, at least if we can get to the point where people, like you say, know what it is and understand, not just the people experiencing it, but everyone. So that actually, if they do see someone who's wearing headwear or if they have patches or if they're bald or whatever that actually they're not kind of needing to have that double take or those questions because they're actually going oh well that person you know in the same way that someone might have you know uh, a birthmark or if they might have eczema it's it's kind of recognizable to people that that's what that is and so if we can have that awareness about like alopecia a bit more in society I think that that makes everything just that one step little bit easier it kind of brings us forward a little bit and I think that would be really like really important for that yeah, definitely. Because I think for me, a big thing is, and I, 
it, it may just be me, but a big thing for me was like embarrassment of it. I was like, I'm so embarrassed that this is happening. Like, uh, you know, uh, I don't want anyone to know because I'm so embarrassed. And it's only now that I'm starting to kind of really accept it more. I'm like, well, actually, I have absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about. And if anyone came to me with alopecia and said I feel embarrassed, I'd be like, what? Why? Like, you're amazing. You hurt. You know, it doesn't define you. Do it. But for me, I'm like, you know, I mean, I combed my hair over for a year because I was like, I literally had like my party down here and I was, I clamped it down with um, hair grips and all sorts. I was like, I'm, no one can ever know, you know, and then I got a topper and everything. And actually, if, I, if I'd have felt a bit more confident in myself and had kind of the people around me that I do now within the community, it may have not been such a, like, I'm so ashamed I need to like put a bag over my head and, you know, call it a day kind of thing. I definitely think I need, it, it's about take for me it's about taking the heaviness and like the weight that you kind of feel with it and just owning it a bit more yeah that's such a lovely way of putting it and I would just add the the one generation we can't represent here I mean there are many generations <laughs> and I'm putting as in decade year groups here but <laughs> when I see now on Instagram maybe managed by their mums these accounts of like six-year-olds ten-year-olds and like I message quite a lot of their mums and check in and ask how they're doing stuff. It's a really lovely way to actually, again, the living vicariously through someone thing, because I wish I could go back in time, give myself a pep talk, give myself that confidence. And like Grace just said, take away that heaviness because it is, it feels like a burden that you're given when you first yeah. get out of there because you don't know how to deal with it. I don't think I had the emotional ability to deal with the fact I was losing my hair. Whereas now, when I'm speaking to these girls and they have these supportive mums setting up their accounts and telling them, no, you're beautiful, don't be ashamed, look at this woman here, look at that woman here, look at this model. And then they're going into school, maybe choosing to wear a wig, but then they take it off for PE lessons. Mm. And I'm like, my mind is blown because the amount of PE lessons I would try and pretend to be sick for or whatever, because I was terrified of my wig falling off. So it's like, it literally stopped me in my tracks in every aspect, whether I was hiding it with a wig or not. I mean, it wasn't an option not to wear a wig for me, like I said. So I am so proud and excited to see now a younger generation coming through, hopefully because there is more visibility, at least if they're curating it. But you're right, the next step is, it would be great just to kind of see it embedded everywhere. Yeah. And that's also from us, just maybe whipping the wig off every now and again, <laughs> doing its own thing. It's, it can be a bit of a controversial one, I think, for some people, but to, to have the viewpoint of, well, I'm not dying. And like I say, it can be divisive because for some people, they'll say, well, yes, I'm not dying, but I'm really struggling. And it's, that is a completely valid point in itself. And we'll sort of circle back around to that. For a lot of people, and we do hear it through the charity for a lot of people, that they do say, actually, a coping mechanism for them is the fact that they're not dying. Do you know what I mean? And that although this can be such a difficult condition to deal with, that actually the fact that it doesn't make them sick or it doesn't kind of debilitate their physical uh, abilities and things like that, that actually they end up being like quite thankful for that in a way. And that can be part of some people's coping mechanism for, I think, dealing with alopecia. And I'd say not for everyone, other people it will be the complete opposite. But that's why I think it's so interesting to hear about everyone's stories and about everyone's different techniques and and kind of thought processes and stuff when it comes to this because we're all completely different and unique in how we deal with it. And that's why I hope anyone that's listening as well will sort of be like, actually that one wasn't for me, but oh yeah, that makes sense and that works for me because but equally for some people it will be the opposite where they'll think, well, actually, yes, it hasn't 
made me bed bound or it hasn't kind of taken that away from me but actually it's really debilitated my mental health or my self-esteem or things like that and it is the psychological impact that I think for a lot of people is the part of it that they struggle with most and just because I'm just so good at smoothly entrancing into a different topic that also leads me back to something that I think Grace mentioned earlier about um, counselling and the sort of more professional side of things and I wondered what if any anyone's experiences are but grace would you be happy to kind of maybe share a bit with us about that first yeah so i mean i am and i i fully am in awe of steve's mindset and everything i really am i'm the total opposite (laughs) i am just like the complete other end of the spectrum and for me if i did have um once somebody say to me you know you should be really you know we have to be grateful that this isn't worse and i thought how can you say that to me like oh my God, this is right now, this is like the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I don't know how I'm going to move on with that constant, you know, what's going to happen next kind of thing. And I, for the first kind of few months was just in this total, right, I'm going to go on this AIP diet, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go on these steroids and And I just, I think I spent so long just constantly on YouTube, <laughs> like researching all this different stuff. And it got to a point where it just, it wasn't really healthy for me because it was it took up so much of me that I needed to go and kind of just have a bit of a, a bit of help with that because I think with like you said with the control aspect of it I found I found myself feeling really out of control and um, yeah so that was what I did I went to see a counsellor and I've, I've never really looked back actually um, before I went to see him I started journaling uh, which was my dad's idea um, and every night I just tried to kind of write things that I was grateful for and a bit of a gratitude thing um, just to kind of get my mind off this worry of is that a new patch is that hair thinning what's happening with my eyebrow do I need to put more of the steroid cream on da, 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 da. Um, and instead that kind of thought process just realigned me a bit and um, yeah I, I did feel a bit embarrassed at first going to counselling for it because I see so many people that kind of cope with it so well or seem to um, but it was it was the right path for me yeah yeah absolutely and I think that's great and I, I, I've also done the, the same thing I've gone down that path with the professional counseling route and stuff as well because I found that um, for me right at the beginning I did the squashing I did the push it down ignore it it's fine carry on with your life and so many people would sort of say to me oh you do this so well like well done like I'd even get the like, aren't you brave thing, which is again, a very personal thing for me. I was always like, I'm not really brave. I'm having to deal with it. I've got no choice. Um, But I was, yeah, I was a squasher of the emotions. And um, to be completely honest, it probably wasn't until I actually started for working for the charity and talking to other people way more than I had previously, who also had it, that I kind of checked in with myself and suddenly was like, ah, you're probably not dealing with this as well as you probably should. And you're probably not talking about how you did deal with it and how you felt about it and how you feel about it now. And so much of parts of my personality I suddenly found were wrapped up in my hair or lack thereof. And I was suddenly just sort of very conscious of then it the other way where I suddenly couldn't take my mind off of it at all. Um, and I, yeah, I just sort of felt like, right, if I could talk to someone, it might not work. It might do nothing. I might feel worse about it, but at least I can kind of have that space to be able to do it. And for me, 
uh, accessing some sort of like professional talking therapies just meant that I had a space that I knew that every few weeks I could go and I could just be like, this is rubbish and I hate this or actually this went really well or, you know, and they would help me work through how and unpick all of that about how that felt. And for me, it was, yeah, one of the the best things that I chose to do in terms of the coping with alopecia. But I think you're right, Grace, I think a lot of people will feel embarrassed or feel like it's not bad enough for that. And it's like, well, actually, you know, I, I don't actually really know if this is a good analogy, but for some reason I say it to people a lot. If you woke up tomorrow and your arm was gone, like it just fallen off, no one would be like, oh, just get on with it. It's just an arm, you're fine. It's like, well, your arm has a function. You have no idea why it's fallen off and it's just suddenly gone and you wouldn't just get on with it. You'd be like, okay, well, I need some help. I need to understand. I need to like figure out how I'm going to live my life without this. And, you know, it's very different obviously but I just kind of in my mind that was like actually yeah I wouldn't if someone said that to me I wouldn't suddenly be like oh well it's crazy that you're having therapy for hair loss it's like actually no now it makes total sense yeah and I found as well for me that I I I, because you're similar age what you were similar age to me when you first lost yours um I found that I kind of withdrew from things that I would normally do all the time and it was only when I went to um, and had that the talking therapy that it was like oh actually yeah that's why I didn't want to go out that night because I was so caught up in thinking like I'm gonna have to sit and do my hair and all of my other friends have got gorgeous hair and I'm gonna have to sit and stress about what it looks like and put on my pomade pomade thingy and spray it down and whatever I was doing at the time or fix the top of right and stuff and um, even now I've had the regrowth that element of it is still there all the time and definitely, I think just to kind of, again, say it's like, it's just accepting that there's nothing really you can do. And it's, and it's that kind of like, nothing I can do right now is going to magically either stop it from falling out or make it grow back. And it took me a while to come to terms with that as well. And I still, some days, don't get me wrong, it's not great. Uh, it definitely comes in cycles for me of like, some weeks I'll be like, oh yeah, forget it's even there. And then other weeks it'll be like, my head's itchy. You know, and then you kind of go, if you want to, you can go right back into that negative mindset of it. So that for me, that was why I chose to. And, it, and like you said, it just just gives you like a way of unpicking your own thoughts as well. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's uh, professional counselling or a bit more what I've done recently, finding uh, almost a peer support community through Instagram, which isn't professional by any means. And now it's interesting. I find people DM me asking for like help and advice. And it's weird. Within a year, it's almost like my role has changed within that community. And it's really eye opening because I remember how I felt first approaching these people, even though I'd had alopecia for 16 years at that point, my my acceptance of it and how I was actually presenting that in real life was still very secret. So I had a long way to go and I still have a long way to go. But the ultimate thing I did want to say is like this, this whole chat is about coping with alopecia. There is no right way to deal with alopecia. We literally are all so different. And as we've kind of, Naomi, you were saying some platforms work for some people and others don't. It's the same with, every aspect of living with alopecia because I think it's amazing as well how Steve you were saying like it was your super strength and now I'm coming around to that idea and I really am so I'm somewhere in the middle of you and Grace (laughs) because that's like in this last year I've really started thinking that but at the time yeah it the hardest thing is when people 
are putting their kind of what they think is right and what they think look like living with alopecia should look like. And even my mum, bless her, saying to me, I know you'll accept your alopecia, Laura, when you're able to walk down the street bald. And I found, as much as she was well-meaning by that, that as I've literally lived with that pressure in my head for so many years. Mm-hmm. And she's so proud of everything I'm doing now and trying to embrace it and raise awareness. But there are still some days where that doesn't necessarily mean internally. I'm like loving it. I'm never going to wake up and think, oh, I love that I don't have hair today because that could just be me and the combination with my eczema, with my body shape or whatever, you know, I, I, I would love to try and have hair back tomorrow. And I don't think it makes me a bad alopecia to say that that's just my personal preference. Um, but I'm really excited by the idea of taking the idea of maybe it is a bit more of a super strength and seeing how just that mental kind of change taking a bit more positivity towards it might mean doors open you know so and that's come through this online community and even right now in this chat like healing in this chat which is crazy but yeah no definitely and that is um why I kind of wanted to put myself out there and do this because I want to make it something that becomes it's not like a part of me that I'm like oh it's a part of me and oh it's just yeah it's a part of me now I'm, I'm gonna get little bald patches that might turn into big bald patches and we just have to roll with it and it, it, I think it is, it's that kind of like, I can use this now in a positive way. Yeah. Quite right. Everyone's on a different journey. Everyone manages and copes with things differently. I, I just know that I, I, I'm quite, I'm very happy with who I am now. And the way I am now is because of the path that I went on. Now, I don't know where I'd be now if I didn't have alopecia. What I do know is I have got it and I'm happy. So that's the way I can, I can look back and think, do you know what? Yes, there was times um, I thought I was the only person in the world with it or I, or I cried or I just wanted to have a normal head of hair and all these different things. But it was, and I count myself as lucky because I went through it from a young age and you're going through primary school, secondary school, puberty, teenage years, um, girlfriends, universities. So I was, it was constantly evolving. I think it's a completely different path or challenge if you suddenly get hit with alopecia when you are as an adult because essentially you've all in effect you've kind of been you've done all your coaching you've done all your development like for me i found it easy just because as a kid there's just things are always changing anyway yeah but, um but no it, it does go but the the only thing you can control in life is is your choices you make and we can't we still can't answer alopecia so i just ignored it I think what's interesting about what you were saying there, Steve, is the fact that even though you obviously kind of like attribute um, yourself as just sort of being someone who's just like, let's put it in this way, just got on with it, if you know what I mean, and just kind of chose to deal with it, that actually you can still acknowledge the fact that actually that doesn't mean it wasn't e- that that was easy, that it wasn't hard. It doesn't mean that you didn't like say cry or have tough days or still want your hair back. And so I think that's something else that's important to acknowledge within this that. Coping doesn't necessarily always mean um, coping all the time. It doesn't always mean happy. No, it doesn't always mean, um, you know, the word acceptance is a really difficult and different word for everyone, but that actually that was just part of your journey of dealing with it. Yeah. What are people's, um, I guess, sort of experiences and stuff then with the coping with the family and the friends side of things? Because my experience is like... Um, sort of I think fairly normal one my friends were amazing and and brilliant and and really kind about it and my parents couldn't couldn't do enough for me I I would say um 
but interestingly on another podcast we sort of uh, episode we talked about um how it can be difficult with I think family, especially more than anyone, but with the expectations or the, you know, they, they want you to be happy and just well and everything to be okay, that sometimes that can, can be a difficult part of the coping process and stuff, I guess. Um, that actually the expectations of, of other people get brought into that as well. And I'm just wondering what people's experiences are, I guess, with um, telling family and friends and did that help, did that not help? For, for people does anyone want to well, share anything on that i think and maybe this is where my mindset come from like mum and dad were, were were brilliant i didn't i didn't want the we weren't a particularly wealthy family but dad, dad was a mechanic mum was a nurse so she was quite pragmatic that's probably the reason why i was never sick because i wasn't allowed to be sick she was a nurse um <laughs> but again they they didn't acknowledge it they didn't acknowledge they knew i had alopecia but they weren't going to say you can't go and play football because you got alopecia. You can't go and hang out with your friends because you got alopecia. You can't go and revise to try and get a grade A because you got alopecia. So it just wasn't spoken about. Okay, they knew I had it, but it, it didn't influence. Um, so I, and it wasn't the fact they were ignorant. It was, it was far from it. It's just alopecia didn't define me. It didn't stop you me. You were Steve. <laughs> so yeah, so, so that was that was it. So and it was the same with my friends as well. And I love the way you describe that. And it sounds really positive again, like the way your family, like it wasn't that they were ignoring it. It was just like, it didn't even like, why would we even, it's not a big deal. Like, why would we even think about it? It's, and I do wonder though, is that because you were six? I know that sounds crazy, but you had six years of your life with her, but then you were like, and you were already Steve, you were already your personality, but you were like a child. And I just, I think it's more maybe because I was 13, just going into, pu you know, puberty, got literally just got hair straighteners that Christmas. And it was all about how I was going to look and whatever. I, th I think it's a good, good point, Laura, because it was, I was from a young age. It was just, it's just part and parcel of, of what I was. I do though think it's also because it sounds like you have an awesome family and I'm not going to do my family down, but I would say I was definitely uh, the victim of having two very opposed parents and the way they communicate emotions. My mum is a marriage care counsellor, so she's very in tune with emotions. And then my dad is definitely, you know, very like doesn't talk about things and doesn't, and he just, I could just see, and to this day, I can see how uncomfortable he is. So when I told him that I particularly pitched my story to the Telegraph because that's the paper he reads and I wanted to make him proud. And his response was, oh yeah, my subscription charges have gone up. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas my mum was like calling family members, buying copies, you know, like that's the difference I had. We are in control. This is like the biggest thing I've learned in the last year. We're in control of the tone of the conversation when we talk to someone about our alopecia. I think my family was so weird about it because, because I didn't talk about it because I was under my wig and I was wearing it like down here and looked very wiggy and just whatever. Like it was the big unspoken secret that everyone knew. Whereas if maybe I'd been a bit more proud and kind of, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to educate my family almost. That's where I could have started if I was older or if I had a stronger character or what ifs and buts for lots of things. I was a 13 year old girl. I don't resent or look back and think, oh, I really should have got the flip chart out and told my business <laughs> by this. And it's getting that confidence to realize, yeah, we can't control this. It's, it's not probably going away or it might come back, whatever, but I'm not going to avoid having the conversation. I think I'd rather 
be ready to just own it a bit better. And it's that owning thing that Grace said earlier, whether that means owning it by walking out in the street bald or owning it by being confident when you're wearing a wig. Yeah, it's so, it's, it's so true about owning that conversation. I mean, I, I would obviously have quite a few people come up to me and ask me questions, more so when I had the, had the patches. And I, I used to read people, so depending how, how they would ask me, would then determine the answer I'd give them because I, like I said from a young age I always kind of viewed it as a, it was my sort of mission to try and educate people because it created that force field so if they, if they generally came across and they were genuinely interested and they genuinely wanted to know then I would I would share it with them but there was a few occasions when you would get someone who would be a little bit ignorant and they would just say something which could be quite cutting now although I wasn't offended they could have said that to someone else so and this is why I, I, and I'm not proud of it but I, I occasionally I did do a couple of naughty things where I would then throw back and say, well, actually I've, I've got a medical condition. I wouldn't tell them what it was, but I just wanted to mess with their heads a little bit because they've just come across and said something quite cutting. And although I wasn't bothered, but they could have said that to someone else. And so as you said, all about owning, owning the conversation, I was kind of pre, I was prepped. And I think this goes back to, cause I had it since six, I was kind of prepped with every single scenario, whether it was student teacher or student student or um, in a pub or lecture. It was, uh, I'd been exposed to so many different scenarios. Some people just wanted to know that um, I was a swimmer or a pro cyclist or something. And if they're, if they're in a bit of a rush, then bang, I was a swimmer because that's <laughs> the answer they wanted and they had to shoot off. So it's, it is about owning that, owning that conversation. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, I know. I remember when I, I was working at um, a ferry company uh, this summer when I first um, had my alopecia, and uh, it, was a, it was a policy that you wore your hair up. But I didn't want to wear my hair up because then everything was really visible. So I just ignored the policy. And my manager pulled me in and was like, "You need to take your headband off and put your hair up." And I was like, and I didn't feel strong enough to say actually the reason why I do this is and I just I just remember being like oh, 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 oh like that and then I just went into the toilet cried my eyes out and then just had to adapt and I think I wish that I was in a position I mean you can wish all the time but if I was in a position where I am now to be like well actually the reason why I'm doing it is because of this and if they still you know kind of came at me with the well it's policy then I wish I was at a position where I could have done it, but I still think even now probably wouldn't necessarily be able to kind of expose my patches just like that. It's even now. that thing of you, should, you don't have to. It's like what Laura was saying. Yeah. Earlier, like the acceptance thing doesn't have to mean the same for everyone. And like, you know, I, I have quite a lot of patches of hair loss, but I very much disguise, I choose to disguise them. Yeah. You know I mean, despite the fact that I'm not ashamed about my alopecia, I work for an alopecia charity, everyone knows I have alopecia, it's not a secret, but I still chew because that makes me feel good about me. Yeah, exactly. And that's the point of it, that actually you might choose to show your patches, you might choose to go without a wig or, you know, whatever it is, however you choose to present yourself, what you should be doing it for is because it makes you feel good about how you feel. Nothing else, but it's like, I say what can be difficult is to deal with not just societal pressures, but like you say, things like work uh, policies and, and all of that kind of thing. It's, it's stuff that we've come across before. And, you know, you, you've got to hope that at least if you expressed it and sort of said, well, actually, that makes me incredibly uncomfortable because of X, Y and Z, that you would hope that most employers would, you know. Uh, they probably know, would have. It was just say that, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's just, hard to put that into words to people sometimes when you're confronted with it straight away. It is, yeah. 
Um, but for me as well, I um, I don't know if we, we talked about the forums and stuff, but I actually was part of the, because I lived in Jersey, I was part of this support group there. And without them, I probably wouldn't be as accepting and kind of okay with it as I am right now because of the support I got from them as well. So it kind of, yeah, it, it does, it is like a roller coaster of things, isn't it? And just things that kind of happen. It's like a jigsaw that comes together and yeah. For me, how I look at it now, and this is how I try and explain it to people who kind of come at us, especially really early doors, is to kind of be like, these are all the tools that are at your disposal. Which ones you choose to put in your toolbox and which ones you choose to take out and use is completely up to you. But as long as you were aware of all the things that are available to you, that's when you can start to actually, you know, heal and kind of feel a bit better about it because you know that there are options. Whereas... And so like we've sort of discussed a few times, those options will look completely different for, for different people. I know when I first started with Alopecia and I looked up the charity, this was way before I worked for them, and I saw support groups and I thought, support groups, ah, no, that sounds like my absolute nightmare sitting in a room, like a dusty old room talking about how I feel in front of strangers. Like I, that was my vision. And I just was like, no. And once I started kind of learning a bit more about the charity and especially once I came on board and I learned so much more about what they actually were suddenly I was like oh wow I've just cut like this whole community and this whole thing off that could have been so beneficial to me right from the start and I think that that's the only thing is that you might still either read about the support groups or you might come to a support group and you might still come to the conclusion that's not for me that is totally fine but I think what I, what I want for everyone is to just know that these things exist and that actually, you know, we hear constantly how much peer support especially just makes all the difference because feeling like you're not alone and feeling like you're not the only one going through it and that actually there's so much to learn from everyone else going through it can make the world of difference to people. Okay. So I think, you know, it's, it's so lovely what you say about um, the Jersey group and stuff. And I think Elena will be... Very proud. I have to give a massive shout out to Elena because she was like my, I, I did take my mum and dad with me to the first support group because I was just such a wreck about it. And I just, it was just so scary. And I was the youngest there, but they're all such lovely ladies who just kind of gave me that boost of like, you know, after a few times, it's like, actually, I'm going to be okay. You know, if they're okay and I can take this from them, then I'm going to be okay as well. And I have these people to kind of lean on ask questions da, 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 da. and I am I'm sad I've moved back to the UK so I'm not necessarily part of their group I am still in their group chat and I do pop up every now and then <laughs> but yeah I think I do think well you have to give everything a bit of a try that would that is what I would say as well I think I was thinking about support groups and how if I hadn't have had a lockdown year to just be like hey I'm gonna post on Instagram every day and <laughs> you know if you don't have the time or the want to share your own story in that kind of visible way, but you still want the benefits of that peer group, I think, yeah, a support group is probably far better than that because it's much harder to kind of create those relationships, I'd say, on Instagram unless your account looks established and genuine. Yeah. So people know that I'm not some catfish because I'm sharing, you know, a lot. Um, mm -hmm. But I've met the kind of the way you were describing how you feel with that Jersey support group, there have been, I'd say, a handful of women, maybe up to 10 women who I've met. And actually one guy who's like a model 
and he wanted me to be part of this project, but I couldn't be part of it because it was during lockdown and it was in London. But I put him in touch with uh, one of my good friends from Instagram, and she's now modelled in this massive campaign, which is fundraising for AUK. You know, the so the, yeah, I saw that. I, those photographs are amazing. I, I like, wow. I was telling Naomi, part of me is like, damn it, why did you like <laughs> down there but the other part of me is just like that's amazing i'm so excited yeah. and like all those opportunities and all those people i wouldn't have even known about if it wasn't for you know it's another route into auk ultimately so yeah, yeah. There's, there's so many different avenues for for how people and it all just comes down to what works for you and just knowing what what things are out there i think really so um so I'm going to kind of bring us towards a bit of a close, but I thought before we do, is there any sort of final tips or even if it's to reiterate, I guess, a point that you've already made or something that you've not brought up in terms of how you coped with your alopecia and what you found helpful for those that are listening? Is there anything else that anybody wants to share? Um, for me, my big thing is, and um, some people have, have, we all have different opinions, um, but for me, I think in terms of the trying anything, if you feel like you're not, you kind of want to try things to maybe regrow your hair back, sometimes the internet and things can be kind of a negative space towards doing that. And you can kind of get really stuck into the, I tried it, it didn't work, it came back, it fell out. Da, 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 da. But I think what I found really important is to be like I want to do this and if it works for me it works for me and I am someone who has been really lucky touch wood that and um, steroid injections and vitamins and probiotics have really helped me and I've got regrowth at the moment and I think for me that is the big one of my big things is just kind of being like if you want to do it do it and don't be afraid of I mean it, a lot of it is kind of like you have to prepare yourself for this may not work type thing but yeah, I think for me, it's just kind of taking that negativity out of it a bit. Sometimes the forums and Instagram stuff can be a bit of a scary place if you want to try things like that. Yeah. So yeah, that would just be my thing. And as well, just speak to your family and friends. My family have been amazing. My uni friends were amazing, helped me with steroid creams and all sorts. And I think as soon as you kind of, they love you, it's never going to change. Yeah, so yeah. I love that. I think I was going to... Um, say about your point about the treatments and stuff as well like yeah we we haven't really touched upon um the whole treatment side of things much in this but that is definitely also a, a kind of a, a dealt with it in slightly two different ways for people in terms of for some as long as your expectations are managed correctly and you know that there's no cure that actually that some things can work for people treatments can be a massive coping technique because you feel like actually okay well i haven't tried that so i can try the next thing it's like being on top of research and all of that yeah. that's a massive coping technique for some people because it's about being as informed and trying all of it that you can for others it's the other way i would classify myself in the other way where i'm just sort of like tried a couple of things didn't really like it all that much felt like i had too much expectation on it so i just decided to try nothing and you know that kind of worked for me because yeah i'd still kind of got some regrowth anyway so that might have been more about how i was dealing with it mentally as opposed to the the, the physical so like you say i think yeah that's a really important point to bring up as well grace definitely so thank you um what about laura steve either of you got any kind of parting tips for anyone do you want to go first steve <laughs> um i think my one would be is just to acknowledge and accept there is no cure at the moment so it's just acknowledge that 
and it's just to control the controllables. You can't control the fact there's no defined cure. The one thing you can control is how you respond to it, how um, you respond to, to work, your, your friends, your family. You're in, everyone has the choice to control how they respond to it. I like that. Thanks, Steve. Laura, what about for you? Yeah, somewhere again in between the both of those, although I definitely recognise elements of both mm -hmm. of them. My big takeaway or big reiteration would probably be for people that are in that space of anxiety, like really just obsessing negatively, understandably about their hair loss in whatever stage, whatever form it's at. The biggest thing that I wish that I could have told myself back then was all those worst case scenarios that you're thinking about when you tell that boyfriend, when you go to that nightclub, what happens if my wig falls off? It never is the worst case scenario. It's never as bad as you think it's gonna be. And actually all the anxiety that I kind of held and I held it in my tummy and like could I could literally feel it. And it just, just was there all the time. It feels so much more powerful and like amazing when you just tell someone, because it's always actually a positive experience. People aren't inherently bad people. They're normally just curious. Yeah. And it just takes back, it's that control thing again. It just takes back the control. But I've always felt so much more positive once I've just said it than when I've been hiding it in new workplaces, in new relationships. Everything's been better once I've just said it. I've realised there is nothing to be ashamed of. I love that. Thank you, everyone. I think everyone's been so fantastically honest and just shared some brilliant stories with people i hope that the people that are listening like I say pick and choose the bits that help that work for you um you know hopefully if if there are bits that don't work for you they're at least interesting to hear about and to understand how you know this crazy world of hair loss that we're all living in is so different for so many different people um and that it's at least just you know helped to understand that a little bit more um, so I'd like to say a very big thank you to everyone for, for joining thank me and thank you. thank you for your time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>